Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to preach to you on the subject of the coming calamities out of Matthew chapter 24 in verses 15 through 35. This is Jesus, and he's speaking in the Olivet Discourse. This is when he's just about ready to be crucified. And it's just a few short moments, hours, days before he's getting ready to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the end times. Disciples had asked him about when is all these things that you have mentioned to us, when are they going to happen and what's going to happen? What's it going to be like? And Jesus is answering their questions and we see here in verse 15, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man and following. Let's take a look at verse 15, if you would please. The Bible says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken by, the pro spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe well unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branches, when his branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye... When ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to be gathered here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we take a look into your word and that we would apply biblical principles, but not only just look for principles, but look for the person to be able to follow after. Yeah. 
Help us to desire to follow after you in a greater way. Help us to trust you in a greater way. Help our faith to be strengthened this morning as we take a look at growing in faith. And Lord, I pray that the things that were said and done would bring honor and glory to you. And I do pray that if there's one here this morning that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to understand this portion of Scripture. And I'm going to take a prophetic portion of Scripture and then be able to uh, apply it to today to be able to help you grow in faith. But in order to understand Matthew chapter 24, you must understand it's not talking about the church. If you look at this as if this is talking about the church, it's going to mess up all of your theology, to be honest with you. Your end times theology anyway. And so if it's not directed at the church, then who is it directed towards? It's directed towards the nation of Israel. And, and, it's te- and Jesus is teaching his disciples some things here about the end times and about how things are going to be right before he comes back. Now we have to understand, Jesus came, his first advent, he came, and we just celebrated that in December, right? We celebrated the birth of Christ. And then here shortly, uh, uh, we're going to start to celebrate the death and then the resurrection of Christ. So his first advent, Jesus came, and he uh, came to earth in order to reconcile us unto God. The Bible tells us that. He tells us another reason that he came was to destroy the works of the devil. He tells us that. And so he came also, the Bible tells us, to set us free from our sins. There's multiple reasons why Jesus came, but it's all culminated in to be able to have everlasting life and have a relationship with God that was the reason that he came the first time and so he came he died upon the cross and then uh, scripture tells us that he rose again three days later according to the scriptures and then after he arose he stayed 40 days on this earth and was seen it says at least at one time of above 500 at once and many of his followers saw him and then if you turn to Acts chapter 1 you'll see in verse 8 where it says that uh, this same Jesus which ye now see go up into heaven shall come again in like manner he's going to come back that was uh, the angels telling that to the disciples. Jesus is now up in heaven. The Bible tells us, what is he doing up in heaven? It says they seated at the right hand of the Father because he has completed the work that the high priest should have done. The high priest always stood all the time. The high priest never sat down. But when Jesus went to, to heaven and applied, if you will, the blood to the mercy seat in heaven, his high priestly duties were done, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father to say, it's completed, it's all done. No more sacrifices necessary. But then our scriptures teach us that one day the church is going to be raptured out of here. It's going to be taken out of here. That's not what this is talking about here. The rapture and the second coming of Christ are two separate events. The rapture of the church, once that takes place, then we believe what's going to be ushered in is called the tribulation period. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And he's talking about more specifically the last half of the tribulation period. 
The tribulation period is going to last seven years. And we'll talk, Jesus mentions a little bit about that, about Daniel and the abomination of desolations. But what we see in this passage, as I read that to you, we see great calamity that is happening. We see great destruction that is happening. As a matter of fact, it says in this portion of Scripture that it's the greatest destruction and calamity that uh, the world has ever seen or will ever see. There will be no greater destruction and calamity in the world than the tribulation. That's what Scripture teaches us. Say, well, what's the Bible principle I can pull out of that to be able to take home with me tomorrow morning or this afternoon? Here it is. We need to remember that in the midst of our calamity, God is still in control. God ha- if you read this, God has not lost control here. As a matter of fact, he's the one who was ordaining it. He is the one who is orchestrating it. He is the one who has designed it. So if God can be in control of the greatest calamity that has ever or will ever hit this earth, that the earth will ever see, can he be in control of my life, my difficulties, my calamities? See, there's three lessons to learn, and really what I want us to take from this is how to have overcoming faith in the midst of calamities. Paul talks to us about that, about having overcoming faith. The Word of God continually talks to us about having overcoming faith. And how do you have that when you're in the midst of calamities? Well, I want us to see, first of all, some lessons about having overcoming faith. Here you go. The first one, write this down if you would, please. Jesus declares the certainty of the calamity. You've heard it said this way, either you are, you are, uh, you are in the middle of a calamity, or you're just coming out of a calamity, or you're getting ready to go into a calamity, right? Isn't that true? I mean, that's the way life works. We have mountaintops and we have valleys. We have mountaintops and we have valleys. I, Mrs. Fernella, you just caught my eye and talk about somebody who's just going through a great calamity with her husband and herself and her, her son-in-law and then her granddaughter losing her baby two weeks before she's getting ready to be delivered. I was talking with Mrs. Fernelli yesterday on the phone and, and she was telling me about Dr. Fernelli and I was asking her a couple things. She, she said, and God's answered this prayer and God's answered that prayer and God... God's answered this prayer. and she, she was going on about these things. And she said, well, Pastor, even though there's been a lot of difficulty, God's, God's good. Amen. What's that? That's overcoming faith. Now, n- none of us want calamities. Not, not, none of us want to go through the difficulties of life. And none of us want to have heartache in life. But the simple fact of the matter is we all know that it's coming, but we never seem prepared for it, do we? And Jesus declares here the certainty of the calamity. We see the certainty of the destruction. You may want to write that down. The certainty of the destruction here, uh, verses 15 through 21. 
Jesus talks about something that all eyes will see. He talks about this abomination of desolations here. Take a look. He says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. You say, well, who's that guy? You remember, you remember maybe you haven't been in church in a, a while, but you, you went to Sunday school. You remember that guy who was thrown into a lion's den? And the lions didn't eat him up, you know? I remember seeing those flannel graph pictures and stuff like that. For those of you young people who don't know what flannel graph is, man, you're missing out. I mean, uh, it, that, there were these boards, those cardboard boards, and they had this, like this, this flannel material glued to them, and then your teacher would put up these little figures, and they would move them around and stuff. And, you know, you had one with Daniel there when he was thrown into the lion's den, and you have all the lion's land, and then Daniel's asleep on the lion, you know, just peacefully. Man, I wouldn't have been asleep. I would have been doing a two-step or something, man. I've been like, get, get me away. Not Daniel. He was all calm and cool and collected. Why? Because even in the midst of his calamity, he knew that God was in control. But that's that guy. That's Daniel that they're speaking about. And he says, he says here that Jesus says that the certainty of this destruction is going to be something so big. In verses 16 through 18, it's going to be so big. He says that the people that are going through this, the believers that are going through this, you need to have a sense of urgency. He says, if you're on the housetop, don't worry about going inside. You know, you know like if you were to have maybe a house fire and you, you, want to, you want to get some of your valuables, right? You're thinking, oh, let me grab that photo book or something. I'm going to grab something on my way out the door. You know, you grab the dog, you leave the cat, you know. Oh, something, all right. <laughs> but Jesus says, don't, don't even stop to get anything. He said, he said if you're in the field, just, just take off. Drop your stuff and, and, and take off. He, he goes on to say that there needs to be this great sense of urgency. Why? He says, well, hey, even if you're pregnant. He said, man, if you're pregnant or you have little children, you better pray that your flight doesn't happen during the winter or during Sabbath. Why? He's saying because it's going to be such a difficult time, those things are even going to make it more difficult for you to be able to escape. That's the point. It's going to make it more difficult for you to be able to get to safety. But what is this abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about? This phrase is mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. Take a look, if you would, in the book of Daniel. Turn there very quickly with me. I want you to take a look at it. What's this abomination of desolation that he's talking about? In Daniel uh, chapter 9, if you would, please. And take a look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, who is that talking about? It's talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is saying right here, Daniel's saying, that this Antichrist is going to come and confirm a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Remember, Matthew chapter 24 is talking about the nation of Israel. It's not talking about the church. Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel. And so the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to make a peace treaty. He's going to protect Israel. It says, and shall confirm the covenant... With many for one week. I don't have time to go into this, but in Scripture, when in Daniel, when it's talking about prophecy, one week has to do with years, okay? And in the midst of the week, so in the middle of those seven years, what, what would that be? What's half of seven? 
Three and a half, okay? So in the midst of three and a half, he shall cause a sacrifice and an oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate. He's talking about the temple. Even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now take a look at Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31. A couple pages over, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31. This really gives us the definition here, okay? And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. You can find this, uh, you can find this abomination of desolation mentioned also in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11. But like I said, the definition of what this is is found in Daniel 11.31. What is he talking about, Pastor? It concerns, that, that prophecy concerns uh, what we know in history, but it's also what happened in history is a precursor to what's going to happen in the future. There was a Syrian ruler called Antioch's Epiphanes who ruled Syria from 175 to 164 B.C. It was about 400 years after Daniel's death. And like I said, this event in history is a precursor to what's going to happen during the tribulation. Epiphanes was trying to stamp out the Jewish religion. And he murdered thousands and thousands of Jews, including women and children. He was a wicked man. And in attempting to stop the sacrifices, he offered a pig, which is an unclean animal to any Orthodox Jew. He offered a pig on the altar to make the Jewish temple an abomination to the Jews. And he also set up a Greek statue there. A Greek god, small g, in the temple for a time so that the sacrifices would be stopped and the temple would be left desolate. He knew that if he did those things, the Jews would not come to worship God. And that's exactly what happened. For a time, the sacrifices were stopped. The temple was left desolate. And this is exactly what is going to happen during the tribulation period. Calamity is coming. Jesus says, he declares calamity is coming. Turn over, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians. We see this in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians, if you would, please. I understand this morning I'm doing a little bit more uh, teaching than I am preaching, but this is important to be able to help us uh, in understanding uh, the Word of God. We need to be not only preached to, but we also need to uh, learn the Word of God and know what we believe and why we stand where we stand. Take a look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. So what happened in history with Antioch Epiphanes, the Syrian ruler, was a precursor to what's going to happen in the tribulation period. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that, it, or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. You can cross-reference that at a later time with Revelation chapter 13 verses 14 and 15. What's going to happen? The Antichrist is not going to set up a statue in the temple. He's going to place himself in the temple as God. And he's going to demand that all the world worship him. 
Jesus then states that the tribulation will happen and that there'll be like nothing that the world has ever seen. Take a look, if you will, in verse 21. I want you to see this. This is how great the calamity will be. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. So then guess what? That means it's greater than the flood. There was great destruction. I mean, when God wiped out just about all of humanity, Jesus says right here, it's going to be greater than anything that the world's ever seen. Not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Not only do we see here this morning that the, the certainty of the destruction, but take a look. Letter B, if you're writing this down, the certainty of the duration. Take a look at verse 22, if you would, please. Verse 22, the Bible says, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Jesus states that if the tribulation was not uh, cut short, no flesh would survive. You know what this is? This is the wrath of God upon an unbelieving world. Now listen. There may be, listen to me, friend, there may be no greater calamity that will happen upon this world, and that's true. But let me tell you something. There is a greater calamity that will happen in all of eternity. And that's called hell. When those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior... When, when, they, when they've bought into religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. When they think that their good works are going to do them well. Or when they think that, hey, you know what, I don't care if I go to hell. I'm going to go party with my friends, go have a couple Coronas, a couple Bud Lights. I'm going to shoot up. We're going to have a great time in hell. Let me tell you something. When the wrath of God is poured out upon a person, it's not a good time. It's going to be a bad time. Calamity's coming. Oh, not only for this world, but for those who don't know Christ as their personal Savior, calamity's coming. But the wonderful thing is, even in the midst of this calamity, if you read the book of Revelation, why is God sending this? He's sending this to give man another opportunity to repent. But what does it say? It says that they raise their fists to the God of heaven, they harden their hearts, and they turn their backs on him. They're saying, like Frank Sinatra said, I'm going to do it my way. And let me tell you something, if you do it your way or I do it my way, we're going to end up in the greatest calamity Amen. for all of eternity. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, your sins can be forgiven. It's not about, about doing it a Baptist way or an Episcopalian way or a Presbyterian way or a Catholic way or whatever way. It's about doing it Jesus' way. He says, I am the way. And this is God's wrath pouring out upon an unbelieving world. And if it, it says here, if it hadn't been for the elect's sake, who's he talking about there? The Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles that have accepted Christ during the tribulation period. You might be here this morning and say, well, Pastor, you know what? I'm good. When that happens, if that happens, that's when I'm going to accept Christ. Guess what? Scripture also talks to us about that. You say, well, what's it say, Pastor? Scripture says that if you've been able to hear the gospel now and reject it, you're going to be deceived during the tribulation to think that the false Christ is the real Christ and you're going to end up in the greatest calamity. Amen. 
See, you're not going to play God with God. You're not going to play eternity with God. God is the one that's in control, not us. So you say, okay, Pastor, well, how does this apply to my faith? How does this help me, and how does this help me to grow in my faith? Here you go. You might want to write this down. It's certain that difficulties are going to come into your life. You say, I know that. Well, then why are you so caught off guard when it happens? <laughs> write it down. Why do we get so upset when it happens? I can't believe God did. <laughs> Number two, to be able to help you grow in your faith. It's certain that these difficulties are going to be bigger than what you can handle. Nobody can handle this. It's certain that your calamities, your difficulties, your hardships are bigger than what you can handle. How does this apply to me? Here's the third thing. It's certain that if you're going to grow in your faith, that in these difficulties you must run to safety, and your safety is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you better get out quick, get out quick, get out quick. Don't wait around. You know what? Stop trying to figure out how you can be safe on your own and just run to Christ. Just trust him. Just throw yourself upon him. You know, how many times when we get in difficult situations, we try and sit there and try and figure it out, how we're going to figure out how we're going to get out. We're going to manipulate and we're doing this. We're trying to, no. How many times have I had to tell myself over and over and over again in my Christian walk, just throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Just throw yourself upon him. You know what? You know why we don't like doing it? Because that's humbling. It's humbling. And sometimes my flesh will bow up and say, well, I don't want to do I don't want to do that. You say, Pastor, do you have those thoughts? Yes. I'm a human being just like you. I got flesh just like you. And even when I don't feel like it, what do I have to do? I've got to decide that I want to grow in my faith and I'm going to throw myself, Lord, I don't even feel like doing this, but I know that you're, all, you're the only one that is my safe haven. I'm going to throw myself upon you. So if you're going to grow in your faith this morning, you need to remember that God is in the midst of your calamity. Number two, Jesus declares the commands of the calamity. We see that in verses 23 through 38. You might want to write that down. Jesus declares the, the commands of the calamity. Not only does he declare the certainty of the calamity, he declares the commands of the calamity. You know, it's interesting to note that when Jesus mentions the word to believe or belief, that in most contexts, it's in the positive sense. It's of wanting people to believe. It's of encouraging people to believe. But in this context here, what we find is that Jesus says, don't believe. Don't believe. What do you mean? The first thing he says, don't believe your ears. Take a look at verse 23, if you would, please. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it. Not. Don't believe what you hear. We'll say, well, then why should I listen to you, Pastor? That's a pretty good question. If what I say doesn't line up with this book, 
don't believe what you hear. If what I say doesn't line up with the book, don't believe what you hear. I'm not the authority here. This book is the authority. You know, there have been false Christ down throughout the ages. But there's going to be an intensification at this tribulation time. There's going to be an intensification of false Christ. You say, why is that? Because Satan is attempting one final push. One final push to, to, to destroy the faith of maybe uh, 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 would-be Christians. He's doing everything that he can. Let me tell you something. Satan wants to do everything that he can to take as many people to hell as possible with him. And he'll do anything and he'll by any means to be able to get people there. That's how much he hates you. And for the believer this morning, if you know Christ, your personal Savior, guess what? He knows that he can't steal your salvation, but this is what he wants to do. He wants to use you to be able to help steal other people's salvation. You say, what do you mean? He wants to destroy your testimony. You know, come to church on Sunday, you look good on Sunday, you're shouting on Sunday, you're singing on Sunday, you're doing all your stuff on Sunday, raise your hands on Sunday, but then on Monday you're cursing like the devil. On Tuesday and Wednesday you're running around on your mate. On Thursday and Friday you're hanging out with your boys or your girls at the bar, getting stoned, and then on Saturday... It all comes together for a nice big party. But we got to be up on Sunday because it's church time. You know, we're Christians. Why would they want what we got if we're running like that? Oh, you say, well, pastor, you're preaching to some mature Christians here. We've been saved for all these years. Okay, well, then let's just take it another step. We don't do those type of things. But how about, you gossiping about this person at work and that person. Yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And you're doing this, undermining your boss here, undermining this girl here. But I'm a Christian. Oh, I can't stand my parents. Oh, man, Tina, I can't stand my parents. They are just so strict. And and you're supposed to be a Christian? No wonder maybe some of your friends in your public high school or some of your friends at where you work don't want anything to be with Christ. And behind your back, they're like, man, you're a real hypocrite. See, there'll be those who want to try and deceive. There'll be those who will be trying to persuade people of believing in a false Messiah. And Jesus says, don't believe what you hear. Verse 24, you know what he says there? Don't believe what you see. Don't believe what you see. Jesus now moves on to say these false messiahs are going to be able to do great miracles. Hmm. Great miracles. These miracles, it says in Scripture, that they're so great, the things that they're going to do are so great, that even if it was, if it was possible, those who are saved would be deceived. I mean, they're going to be able to do some miraculous things. Jesus says, don't believe your eyes. You know, church, just a, just a side note here, just to be able to help you. We need to be careful of always identifying the miraculous with God. We need to be careful with always identifying the miraculous with God. You say, what do you mean? 
Well, just take a look. I'm not going to turn there for a lack of time. But take a look at Exodus chapter 7, verses 11 through 12 and verse 22. There were false sorcerers that did the exact same thing that the man of God did. How about Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. How about Revelation chapter 13, verse 13? Revelation chapter 16, verse 14? Revelation chapter 20 and verse 20? That's just a sampling of the miraculous done by those who were not of God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Satan can be transformed, what? As into an angel of light. Don't believe what you see. Listen, if it doesn't, my, my whole point is if we're going to grow in faith, we've got to make sure that we're sticking with the book. If it doesn't line up with the book, if what you hear doesn't line up with the book, then don't believe it. If what you see doesn't line up with the book, then don't believe it. And then Jesus says, not only don't believe your ears, don't believe your eyes. Then he says in verses 25 through 28, don't follow after them. Jesus said, I've told you this before. You can see in verses 25 through 28. Behold, I've told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. You know what he's saying? You know that something's dead because you can see it and the eagles are there. Jesus says, don't go after them. If they say, you need to go over here and, and go, go see, th there's Christ over there. You need to go over here and Christ is in a secret place. You know what Jesus does? He, he says, look, you want to know when I'm coming? Everybody's going to know when I'm coming. Verse 27, he says that his return is going to be like any other. You know, the rapture is going to be something secret. The world's going to think, man, what in the world happened? They'll probably, I don't know what they're going to say. Maybe aliens, you know, UFOs took all these people out. And I, I don't know. I have no idea how they're going to explain it, but they're going to explain it away. You know, uh, CNN, MSNBC, and, and Fox News, they're going to explain it away. They're all going to explain it away, right? They're going to, I don't know what happened to all these people, but they're gone. And thank God they're gone, those stinking holy rollers, you know. So the rapture of the church is going to be something secret. But when Jesus comes back, it's going to be visible to everyone and everyone will know that Jesus has come. Amen. He might have come secretively the first time, but he's coming very loudly the second time. So how does this apply to me and my faith? Here you go. Just because it's said doesn't make it true. Stick to what the Bible says. I've heard somebody say this. They've actually twisted the scripture. They said, well, it says in the Bible that the Pharisees accused Jesus of being friends of sinner, a wine-bibber, and a glutton. So that means that it must be okay to drink and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, that is a really, number one, that's a poor argument if that's what you're going to stand on, okay? Just forget about the wine issue. I'm, I'm not even dealing, but that's just a poor, I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so then I guess he, number one, he committed the sin of gluttony then. Right? I mean, because if one is true, then the other one's got to be true, right? And my, my mind just went, you know, I was like, just because something's said about somebody doesn't mean that it's true. 
It's amazing how gullible we are when somebody says something on the internet or on TV or on something. But you know what I find interesting? When the man of God stands up behind the pulpit and he says, thus saith the Lord, we sit there and we question it. Well, I just, I'm not quite sure that that's really the case. But man, if, if CNN, MSNBC, you know, Oprah, Dr. Phil, you know, Rush Limbaugh, whoever you're putting out, whoever you listen to, you know, uh, Chris Matthews, whatever, you oh, well, they said it, it might, oh, it's got, got, got to be true. But when I get up here and I say, hey, this is what the Bible says, people sit in the pew and say, let me think about that one. How does it apply to my faith? Just because it's, it's said doesn't make it true. For example, sometimes the devil will tell you, you're going down. You're no good. You're worthless. You've committed too many sins. Remember that last thing you just did? You're done with. Don't believe that. Have overcoming faith. Have overcoming faith. Just because it's seen doesn't make it true. Stick to what the Bible says. For example... You could have lost your job this past week. You know what the devil will tell you? Say, see, you lost your job. God doesn't love you anymore. You might have got a bad health report. See, you can see that health report. And you're looking at that. The doctor's telling you, you've got all these things wrong with you. See, God doesn't love you anymore. Wait a second. Just because you can see it doesn't make it true. It's got to line up with this book. If you remember with me, Peter was on the Mount of the Transfiguration. He saw Jesus in all of his glory in the Mount of Transfiguration. And what does he say in 2 Peter? He says, we've got a more sure word of prophecy. Right before that, he was talking about, he was talking about what he had heard. He had heard God the Father say, this is my son. He had seen Jesus in his glorified form. But what did he say? Instead, he said, look, I've got a more sure word of prophecy. This book is more sure than what I've heard with my ears and what I've seen with my eyes. And let me tell you something this morning. The world's going to tell you a bunch of things for you to believe, and it's going to show you a lot of things that they think is true. But if it doesn't line up with the book, it's false. The third thing about how can I grow in my faith, just because it seems appealing, don't go after it. Jesus says, don't follow those men that are claiming to be false Christ. Don't, don't you follow them. And they, they, man, they may, they may know how to, they got silver, silver tongue. Just because it seems appealing, don't follow after it. Stick by the book. Let me give you this third point. How can I have overcoming faith? Remember, God's in the midst of your calamity. How can I have overcoming faith? Remember that there's some commands or some standards that God wants you to follow in your calamity. Don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you see. Don't follow after something that may be appealing to get you out of your calamity if it doesn't line up with a book. Okay? There's some standards or some rules or some guidelines that God wants you to follow in the midst of your so you can have overcoming faith. And then thirdly, Jesus declares the culmination of the calamity. Verses 29 through 35. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. The calamity, write this down, the calamity brings victory. We see that in verses 29 through 31. 
The calamity brings victory. Remember the first time that Jesus came? Remember I spoke to you about that about 40 minutes ago. I spoke to you about the first time Jesus came when he came into, as a little baby. You know how he came the first time? He came in weakness. Baby has no power, does it? But guess what? The next time Jesus comes, the next time he comes, and he is coming. He's coming in power. The first time Jesus came, he came and suffered. The next time Jesus comes, he's coming to reign. The first time Jesus came, he came in humility. The next time Jesus comes, he's going to come in all glory. The first time Jesus came to earth was a scene of apparent defeat. The next time Jesus comes to earth, it will be unquestionable victory and triumph. Because this calamity, it's giving birth to victory. And guess what? That same thing happens in your life. Though I've heard it testified over and over again from you folks on more than one occasion, Pastor, I would not want to go back through that difficulty, but I wouldn't change the lessons that I've learned for anything. What's that? That's victory. You have grown in your faith. God took something that was terrible in your life and he allowed you to be birthed into victory instead of defeat. But not only does Jesus declare the culmination of this calamity, it brings victory, but this calamity brings vindication. We see that in verses 32 through 35. You know, in life, we see things come and go, don't we? There are seasons in life. There are stages. And I think we've all discovered, if, you, if you've been living for any length of time, the one thing that's constant in life is that life isn't constant. You know, nothing stays the same. And the Bible tells us that the things that we now see are going to pass away. The heaven and earth, what we see here, it's all going to pass away. You realize this building one day is going to all be burned up. Everything that we see, your cars, our homes, our clothes, everything that we know, everything that we see around us, it's all going to be gone. But there's one thing that's going to remain. And that's the Word of God. See, calamity brings vindication. Oh, there'll be people that mock. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Peter writes about that there. Where is the sign of His coming? For all things continue as they were. They mock His Word. They make fun of us who have faith in the Word of God. Let me tell you something. He will be vindicated, and his word will be vindicated. The attacks on God's word and on God himself will one day be vindicated, and it'll be the only thing left standing. You say, well, then, well, how does this apply to my life and growing in faith? You might want to write this down. Here you go. Though it may seem that your calamity will never end, it will. It will. Though it may seem your calamity will never end, it will. Though it may seem that you will never have victory, 
you can. Though it may seem you will never have victory, you can. And though it may seem that you'll never make it, Jesus made a way. See, friends, he's not only made a way for your salvation, for those of us who know Christ as our personal Savior. And by the way, if any guests are here, we're not saved because we're Baptists. We're not saved because we're Baptists. And I'm not saved because I got the title of pastor. I'm saved because I place my faith and trust in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I realized that I was a sinner and I was on my way to hell. There are plenty of people out there that got the name Baptist and plenty of guys out there that got the name pastor that are on their way to hell because they're trusting in their religion. But the simple fact of the matter is when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone and you cast your sin upon him, he says, whosoever will may come unto me for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You believe that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. You repent of your sins. You turn from the way that you were living and you start living for him and him alone. Guess what? Jesus. Jesus said, one day you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. That's the only reason I'm saved. See, Jesus has made a way for our salvation. But what we forget many times in our own lives as Christians is we forget that Jesus has made a way for our sanctification in order for us to grow in faith. 